0: Do that first. So my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and uh, it's been so good to gather together and worship this morning. We're going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and halfway through chapter three. We're pretty much going to get to the end of chapter, towards the end of chapter three today. Um, Paul has distracted himself from what he was saying between verses two and thirteen, and that was what we looked at last time. Uh, he kind of got distracted. Now he's coming back to his main point that he started in verse 1 of chapter 3. Some people do that, don't they? They kind of set set off on something and then they lose their thread and they get off on something else. And some people can manage to bring it back and some people just never do. (laughs) Paul was one of those who could bring it back. He's pretty good at it. He does it a few times. Um, So we're going to read verses uh, 14 through 19. And uh, this really follows on from verse 1. And then I'm going to expand on it this morning. I'll refer to some other passages, but the main passages I'm going to keep on the screen are these few verses. And then, um, you know, you can turn to the other passages in your Bible if you want. But I'm just going to go through and you'll be able to see where I am each uh, through the passage. So Paul says this. um, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. to the measure of all the fullness of God. All right, that's where we're going this morning. So Paul begins and he says, for this reason, for this reason. And we might say, for what reason, Paul? Because you've lost me here. You've gone off on your little bunny trail. And I'm not sure what reason you're talking about. He's not talking about what he said in verses 2 through 13. He's talking about what he said so far in His letter to the Ephesians. It's everything he said about God's plan for us. Um, It's God's story that we've been caught up into. I mean, in some ways, he's talking to the Ephesians. He's also talking to us as well. So just in case you've forgotten or you're coming in partway through, the story begins with us being pronounced as dead, dead in our transgressions and sins. We might not realize that, but that is the road that we were on. We were on the road to hell and the sentence was declared over us and the wrath of God for our sin was supposed to be was going to be poured out on us we were without hope we were without God in the world but then Paul gives us the good news because that's the bad news he says no no we now have been redeemed we've been bought out of slavery we were in we were slaves but now we've been bought out of slavery by God Uh, he's forgiven us for our sin And he's chosen us. He's given us a plan and a purpose in life. And it lines up with his plans and purposes. That's the plans that God has for us in our lives. They line up perfectly with his plans and his purposes for the world. Paul says we've been made alive in Christ. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit. And he goes on and tells us more about his plans and his his purposes. God saves us for more than just our personal reasons. It's not just a, a kind of ticket to heaven when that we die, wonder, wonderful as that will be. But he says he's made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. There's a much bigger picture here, a much bigger picture. We were saved to be brought into God's story. And we've gone on to see that now we've come to be formed as part of one body, one body, Christ's body, um, formed out of Jews who were formerly God's people and the Gentiles who were just completely excluded from God, from knowing God. Now we're brought together, we are being built together to become God's holy temple, a magnificent dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this story that we've been brought into doesn't only affect us, it affects nations. In the letter to the Romans, Paul says, the world is groaning as in the pains of childbirth, but there's a great renewal coming for the world, and it includes us. The world is groaning, the world is decaying, but there's going to come about a renewal. I don't know if you like this time of year, I'm not. I'm not really meaning the build-up to Christmas. A lot of people like the build-up to Christmas, but, but in terms of the weather and the seasons, do you like this time of year? Because I really don't. I really don't, because I just think, oh my word, there's months of winter to come. There's just months of winter, and it's dead, and there's nothing. I mean, some people like winter. I don't know. God bless you for that. Please pray for me. I really don't. <laughs> we just see things dying at this time of year. You know, you get the fall colors and then after that it's like, oh, it's there's death coming all the time. Do you know that creation was never intended to have an autumn and a winter, a fall and a winter. It was never meant to be that way because death was never meant to come into the world. Death came into the world because of sin, and death was built into creation because of sin. So we see things dying, you know, things show promise and there's life and everything, spring and summer, it's amazing, and then death, things start to die, things start to decay. It's because of sin. Romans 8, 19, Paul says, creation is waiting in eager expectation. Creation's just waiting in the eager expectation. There's something better to come. There's something more to come. What's it waiting for? Paul says it's for the children of God to be revealed. Create The whole of creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. For the world to see who God's people are. Us, the church. Did you know that? The whole of creation is waiting for us to be revealed to God, to the church. All this pain and decay will end one day and we have been caught up in God's plans and purposes for that. We're at the center of it. We're involved in it. We're world changers. That's not just hype. I know people say it and it can sound like hype. The Bible tells us it's true. So what is it that Paul is praying? Paul is praying, he says at this verse 14, for this reason... For all this, I kneel before the Father. He says, I'm praying that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you in your inner being. That's what he's praying. And we can see why he's praying that. Because we can see all that he said. We can get hold of of all that he said so far about God's plan for us. But then we take a bit of a sober look at ourselves then we kind of think oh really are we really the answer to the universe are we really what the whole of creation has been waiting in eager expectation for i mean it seems like there's this huge credibility gap do you feel that sometimes when you read about these things when you hear about it you think i don't i don't get it i don't get how i'm how i can be part of that because we see who we are. We know who we are. We're very ordinary people. We're preoccupied with very ordinary things. We're preoccupied with our jobs and our studies, our relationships, money, our social life, domestic responsibilities, kids programs. Day by day, week by week, that is what preoccupies us. In real life, we don't seem to be world changers. World changers? We can't believe that, can we? That we can change the world. We we might be struggling to find time to change the tires on our car. Never mind change the world. It doesn't seem to make sense. And then there are physical limitations that we face. We're getting older. Our bodies begin to wear out. We get more tired than we used to be. On my, when I was younger, on my day off, Debbie and I, we used to go off and, and do all sorts of things. We'd go for long walks in the countryside. We'd go and visit different cities. Let's travel to this city and spend the day there. And I would, we would do all of these things on a Monday. And I, I once asked my former pastor what he did on his day off. And he said, I pretty much just sleep. He said, that's really, I'm worn out. That's pretty much all I do. And at the time, I thought, what a waste of time. What a waste so much to be doing. That's me now. That's what I do now. I pretty much sleep all day on a Monday. We get older. We have mental limitations. We don't understand everything. We get confused. We forget the truth that's been taught to us. We can, we can get motivated. We can hear things on a Sunday, and by Monday it's all gone. We have emotional limitations. We get fearful. We can get depressed. Spiritually, we can be affected by the past. We find it difficult to throw off our our past, the mistakes that we've made, our disappointments, our hurts. We read Paul's words here. We hear preaching on it, and we just can't believe it. It doesn't seem to connect with us. There's a huge credibility gap, and so we end up thinking, well, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me, because maybe all the other Christians, they all get it. Maybe everyone else gets it. Maybe everyone else is doing it. And I just, don't, I just don't seem to be able to. We don't realize that everyone struggles in exactly the same ways, with exactly the same things. Even pastors and elders and everyone, don't be fooled to think that we've attained some. We're all the same. We all struggle with these things. The fact is, God calls ordinary people. The good news of the gospel isn't for spiritual um, MVPs or all-stars. If it was, it wouldn't include us. It wouldn't include us. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Why does he call those people? Hey, Jesus, who are you going to choose for your team? Who are you going to choose to be your key men? I'm going to choose the people who are weary and heavy burdened. What? Why are you going to choose them? Why are you choosing the people who are completely tired and worn down with lots of issues? Why are you choosing them? Why don't you choose the all-stars? No, Jesus chooses the fallible, weary, heavy burdened people. And he says, I'm going to give you rest. But we're also part of his great plan for the world. He gives us rest, but he says, but I've got this plan for you. And this is who you are now. And this is who you're going to be. That's who he chooses. That's who he chooses. Paul knew that. Paul knew that God chose broken people because he worked with them. He was one. He was one. The Bible's very honest about how it all plays out. Read the book of Acts. Paul, you know, he's, he's okay, we're going on this mission to, set, to, to win the world. He has arguments with people. He has arguments with Peter at times. He snipes at him. He even snipes at him in his letters sometimes. Peter comes back at him. He fell out with Barnabas. They had a huge falling out. They, they separated. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, oh, by the way, it's just a little aside he puts in. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Figelis and Hermogenes. Everyone's left him. He's gone to win the world. He's gone to st- establish churches. He's gone to do the stuff. And they've all gone. They've all left him. They've all deserted him. No one stood with him. Jesus' disciples did the same. They all left him. They all ran away. And yet he chose them. And he chooses us. He chooses us with all of our hang-ups, with all of our issues. Paul knows there's a huge gap between what he's been telling us about God's plans and purposes and what we're like. And he says, for this reason, (laughs) I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the Father for this very reason. He doesn't get cynical He doesn't get impatient, he doesn't despair, he prays. That's what he does, that's his response, he prays. He doesn't despair any more than Jesus did. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and in Luke 22 he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Simon, Peter, he's the one who says, oh, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to go to the, I'll, I'll die for you. I'll never desert you. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew that. But he didn't reject him. He didn't say, oh, you know what, Simon? You've got a bit of a character defect. It's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. I mean, he did have a character defect. We all do. We all have character defects. Most of us, like Simon, can't even see what ours are. Until people point it out to us, we don't know. Paul says, I'm praying. And this is what he prays here in Ephesians. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He says, I'm praying that God may strengthen you. He knows we need strength. He knows we need strength. He knows we need transformation by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm praying it so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He says, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts as you get strengthened. How does that happen? How does it happen that Christ comes to dwell in our hearts? We might think, surely that happens when we first become a Christian, actually you know why is Paul praying it now to the Ephesians they already know God surely Christ's already come to dwell in their hearts well yes and no Christ comes into our hearts and he lives in us but then he sets out to make it his own he sets out to really make us his own when you move into a new house you don't tend to leave it the way it's currently decorated now, here, actually, things are staged, and it's all, it looks quite nice in the new house. When you're in, in the UK, no one bothers with all of that. So you, you just get the mess that everyone else, the last person's had. <laughs> and often, it's pretty bad. All right? That's, what, that's when you move in. So you do, you're, not, you're not moving in and thinking, I'll just leave it like this. You try and imagine what it's going to look like. You get ideas and think, this is what I'm going to make it. This is how I'm going to make it look. You know, and so you might, and that's what we did when we moved into our house. We thought, oh, well, we could put a wood fireplace in here and we'll add a washroom there and we're going to add an ensuite bathroom up here and let's, let's not keep it these colors, let's paint it these colors and, and make it look this, day, this way and, and we'll add a couch here and we'll put some pictures up here. And, and, th- and as we plan and as we begin to get to work on those things, it becomes more reflective of who we are. So we move in. And it's our home. It's our home from the minute we move in. But then we get to work on it. And eventually people start to see a home that reflects who we are. That reflects our personality. That reflects something of our character. And Paul is praying that Christ will be at home in you. So yes, as we get converted or whatever we might want to call it, become a new creation, Christ moves in. And he's really trying hard not to look at what it's like. (laughs) He doesn't really want to, he's like, oh, yeah, it's not great. It's not currently decorated great. But he moves in and he's thinking, how does he want it to look? How does he want us to look? And then he gets to work on it. He gets to work on us. As soon as he moves in, it's home. And then day by day, it's becoming home. It's becoming more and more a place that reflects his tastes, who we are, his character. It begins to be displayed everywhere in us. People come and they meet us and they see more and more of Christ's character, of Christ's personality reflected in us. They see him at the windows. They see him when they open the door. That's who they begin to see, and that's a process over time, and that's what Paul is praying. He knows that if we're going to be these people who are going to change the world, we need to become more and more like Jesus, and that's what he's on his knees praying for, because he knows that things will change in the Ephesian church as he prays for them. He's praying, and he knows God's going to change them, and it's the same with us. We get strengthened in power when people are praying for us, and we become people who Jesus feels comfortable and at home with because, he's, because we could become more like him as people pray for us. The implication here is that praying for people makes a real difference. Makes a real difference. I don't understand it all. I don't really understand. Why can't God just go, oh, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it in an instant. I'm just going to change you in an instant. Your whole personality, your whole character. I don't understand. Why can't it be like that? But it's not. That's not what God does. He changes us step by step. And we're involved in praying for each other. Paul prays that God will strengthen us. Presumably, if he didn't pray, God wouldn't do it as much. Otherwise, why is he bothering praying? Like I said, it's a bit of a mystery. I don't fully understand it, but it's what the Bible teaches. So one of the things that we do time and time again at our prayer meetings when we gather is we pray for each other. And and Joe and Gary and myself... Uh, the other week, got together with some leaders of other churches in Montreal. Do you know what the main thing that we did for each other, with each other was? Pray for each other. It's the main thing that we did. And when Ginny came a few months ago, we went to Moncton with our spouses. And we joined together with leaders from Wolfville Church and the Charlottetown Church. We spent pretty much the whole time praying for each other. Because we all understood that's what we needed the most. That was the most fruitful way of spending our time, praying for each other. I need people to pray for me. I can't function as I should unless people are praying for me. You need people to pray for you too. You do. So that you can be everything God has called you to be. So that God will transform you. So that God will come and make his home increasingly among you. That's why it's so important that we all pray for each other. Pray for the church. That's why we pray for leaders in the church. That's why we pray for members of our life groups. That's why we pray for people to come when we gather on a Sunday morning. Because do you know what? A lot of the time on a Sunday morning we wake up and we don't feel like coming. So we need some people to pray that we will. That we'll be able to push past the obstacles and the barriers and the disappointments and the hurts. And everything that might say to us, do you know what? Why do you even bother? And don't tell me you've never felt that. Because we all have. We all have. We need people praying for each other. I want people praying for me. We need to be strengthened. We need God's power in us. We th- do you know what? We're in trouble if we think we can do this, live this life without prayer. We're in trouble. We all need God, all of the time. We need inner strengthening. We need the activity of the Spirit. So we need people to pray for us, and we need to be praying for others. So what do we pray as we're praying for each other? Well, let's look at what Paul prays. It's a good model of what Paul prays. He prays about us being rooted and established in love. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people. I'll go on to that bit in a minute. He talks about us being rooted and established in love. Is he talking about God's love or is he talking about our love for each other? Who knows? I mean, (laughs) it's kind of, one equals the other, really. You know, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, uh, John says, we love because he first loved us. So God loves us, and then we end up loving each other. So we're rooted and established in God's love for us, and it flows into our love for him, and it flows into our love for each other. Being rooted in love. It's a bit as though love is the soil in which we are planted and our roots go down deep into the soil and we draw nourishment and feeding and strength into our lives from this love. When our roots go down deep, we get strong. Deep roots mean that when strong winds come, when things happen in our lives, unexpected things, we don't get knocked over because we're rooted in love, the soil that we're planted in. The kind of soil that, we're, that things are planted in really determines how something grows. Um, Debbie's favorite flower, or one of her favorite flowers, is hydrangeas. Um, and uh, we've got some hydrangeas in our garden, and they, they grow huge. We cut them down every year to like virtually nothing. I'm thinking, oh, nothing's going to come from that. And then by the end of summer, it, you, well, you cut them down, yeah, okay. <laughs> Using the royal we here. No, not the royal we. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we cut them down. Oh, dear. If you sit further back because my eyesight doesn't go that far, and it's, you know. <laughs> anyway, Debbie loves it because hydrangeas are her favorite flower. They, they grow and they're huge. I was almost going to show a picture of them, but I thought, no, we better not boast about it. But Debbie gets really pleased because they, she loves hydrangeas. Our soil is really good for hydrangeas. Some people say, how do you get your hydrangeas to grow that big? I've got some, they don't go big. Um, But ours do. When we are planted in the soil of the love of God, that is good soil. It's good soil. We're going to thrive in those conditions of love. That's what Paul's praying. He's praying that we thrive in the conditions of love, established on it, built on it. And we can do a lot to receive that nutrition and that feeding. You know, we can, we can listen to, we can sing songs which have got of worship to God that have got real truth in them. That's why some of the ones we've been singing today, you know, really can strengthen us, you know, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, and we're, we're singing truth about God. It strengthens us as we do that. strengthens us. Uh, listening to um, messages which have got, good, solid, biblical truth. We can feed on that. It's not just information. It's like, God, we want to feed on it. We want to draw strength from it by the preaching. Hopefully, this morning, you'll feel like you're being fed a good meal. I hope it's a good meal. I pray it's a good meal that you're going to be fed and strengthened on. We're being built on a solid foundation. It's secure. It won't change. It's covenant love, steadfast, unshakable, And we can't leave that foundation. We can't leave those roots. We can't move on. Day by day, we've got to keep feeding ourselves, being fed week by week, the love of God. And we cultivate a climate of love for each other as well so that we'll grow as a church. We need to grow as a church. And I'm not talking about numbers I'm not talking about numbers of people. I mean, it was great to get more and more people here because it's great to have more people know the love of God. It's great to have more worshipers. We want a growing church in that way. But more important, to grow in our love of God, to grow in our knowledge of God in that sense, not just head knowledge, knowledge and love of God in strength and maturity. How do we do that? What are we looking for? What are the signs of that? I mean, how do you picture the ideal church? What's the ideal church in your mind? Is it a church where there's lots of programs and ministries running, trying to meet every need, great kids' work on a Sunday, wonderful ministries, everyone trained in the best techniques and committed and effective. We've always got a team of people who can move in, meet every need, handle that problem. Well, actually, no. We can do all of those things and still be lacking. There's a big danger if we just focus on systems and develop structures and become professional and slick. And I'm not saying that some of those things are not good things to have. It's good to have some systems in place. But if I'm in need, I don't want a prepackaged thing of solutions that's just gonna be handed to me. If I'm in real need, I wanna be loved. I wanna be loved by someone. And I'm not even talking about just being loved by a pastor or an elder. I'm talking about us loving one another. We might not have all the answers to each other's struggles. We might not know how to deal with every issue. We might not have a great understanding of the things that people are going through. But that's okay. God doesn't ask us to be experts in everything, He asks us to love each other. And if we know that we're loved, that goes actually so much further. We're rooted in love. We're rooted in love. Don't just, if you've got things that are going on in your life, don't just think, oh, I've got to go outside of the church. I've just got to go to a therapist. I've just got to go to an expert. And again, hear me, I'm not saying those things don't have their place. But don't just go there. Come to people in the church who are going to show you love. Because they won't show you the love that God's people can. It's so important to be rooted and established in love. This this church in Ephesus that Paul has taught so well in. We see them in the in the book of Revelation and the and and John has this revelation of, of, of wonderful revelation of heaven. And there's letters written to each of the churches. And the letter to the church in Ephesus speaks of so many good things that they've got in place. They've got structures in place. They were a well-functioning church. They were well-taught. They'd overcome hardships. But it says, do you know what? You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first love. You've moved away from love. You've moved away from love. The love of God and love of each other is the greatest thing. Paul says, Jesus says, two greatest commandments, love God, love each other. Those are the two greatest things. We can't move from that. We don't move away from that. We need to pray for one another. We need to establish each other in the love of God. That's what, as elders, we're praying for you as a church. We pray for you as a church. We pray for you as individuals within the church, and those are the things that we pray. We're longing for a church not that has great structures. We're longing for a church where people know each other, where people are known, where people are aware of each other's struggles, where where, where people are coming and standing with people, where friendships are crossing social divides and economic divides, where it's just happening, it's organic. New people will sense it. They'll be drawn into it. And, and, and like I said, it's just got to be organic and, and love. We're praying that it will happen. It's not going to be a system. We're not just gonna, we can't just make a system to make you love each other. We can't do that. It's not about a system, it's about love. Love of God flowing out to love of each other. And, and we have to learn to put it into practice. We have to learn to do the difficult things. If someone's upset us, we have to go and speak to them rather than talk to someone else. We have to learn to forgive easily. We have to learn to not speak against one another. We have to learn to dismantle our defenses and build real friendships with one another. All of these things are foundational to our Christian life. And all of these things are possible because of Christ's love for us. Paul prays that they know power and they know power to grasp how high, wide and high and long and deep is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. This love is better than any knowledge Yes, knowledge can be good, but 1 Corinthians 8 says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We need to know truth. I'm a passionate advocate of us knowing truth. But if we're not careful, just knowledge on its own makes us arrogant. It makes us arrogant. It puffs up. It makes us think that we know more than others. But love surpasses knowledge. Love is better than knowledge. It goes way beyond it. And it builds up. Our greatest need is that our hearts are warmed by the love of God. Again, Paul says, If I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Paul's praying. He's praying for us that we'll grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is. He's looking at something awesome. Awesome. Paul had caused the church so much suffering he'd persecuted the church, he'd killed believers, but the love of God was wide enough to include him. The love of God was wide enough to include him, and it's wide enough to include me, and it's wide enough to include you. Just think about, I mean, I don't know how many people are here today, maybe a hundred, going on a hundred, all of the things, all just imagine all of the things that are going on in people's lives. All of the things that we've done, all the secrets, all of the stories, all of the things that people don't know about, all the things that we've thought about people and said, all the things that we're secretly ashamed of. And yet the love of God is wide enough to bring us all here and to bring us all into his church. No matter how depraved we are, the love of God is so wide and it includes anyone who comes to repentance and faith. And it's long. It's long. It will never end. You'll never come to the end of God's love. God will never change his mind about you. He'll never, you'll, he'll never lose his patience with you. You'll never come to the end of his love. He didn't just fall in love with us and then a little while later he's going to fall out of love with us. Like we can fall in and out of love. It's a covenant love like marriage, like marriage. It's an everlasting love. It doesn't end. And it's incredibly high. It takes us to heaven. And it's incredibly deep. It goes to the depths of our experience. Even in the depths of our deepest depression, God finds us. And underneath us are the everlasting arms of God. God's love is vast. And Paul's praying we're going to grasp it all we need an intervention of God if we're going to grasp it. We need to have people praying for that. And the main place that we see the love of God is at the cross. In Romans 5, Paul says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. Christ died for us. People can talk about various things being blessings from God and, and and, and things are blessings from God. You see, I saw someone this week just saying, oh, you know, I, I'm gonna have a, we're gonna have another baby and it's, we, we feel really blessed. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing from God, of course. But those things aren't the definitive proof of God's love for us. That's not the measuring stick of how God loves us. The measuring stick of how God loves us is the cross. It's the cross. If we shut off all other evidence of God loving us and we only look at the cross... And we see the Son of God, the Lord of glory, in shame and humiliation, beaten, bloody, put there despite having done no wrong. And he's praying for the people who put him there. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's where we see God's love for us. That's where we see God's true love for us. Such love. He's dying in our place He's forgiving us for even putting him there, and it's forever. Paul wants us to have power to grasp this. He wants us to grasp it, and the context that we're going to grasp it in, he says, is together with all God's holy people. Paul keeps reminding us, and I won't spend too long on this because I I talk about it a lot because Paul talks about it a lot. He keeps reminding us over and over again of the vital importance of our relationships with each other. It's corporate. It's the church. That's how we find it. We find it in the church. And some people get damaged and they retreat back from the church. And sometimes we're tempted to to just leave the church and, and have our own times with God. In so many ways, if people aren't there, problems aren't there. No one can hurt or upset you. No one can let you down if it's just you and God. But if you are to grasp all that Paul's praying, we've got to realize it comes through being with the saints with each other. It's God loving us and us loving each other. First John 4 says, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And Paul wants us to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We come to the fullness of everything God's got for us if we love one another. There's no place for the solitary believer who hides away from the church. Yes, there are issues with the church. Of course there are. Many of us know that firsthand. But we need to keep coming back into real relationship with each other. We need to keep forgiving. We need to keep building bridges because that's what God's done for us. We can only know this love through giving and receiving love to our brothers and sisters. And Paul says, I'm praying that you're going to have the power to do it. I'm praying you're going to have the power to do it. And again and again and again and again, in this letter, he says, you need power. You need power. And we need power. And we need power. We do. We can't do it on our own because we have all sorts of problems which prevent us from being feeling loved and being loved and loving others. And we, uh, maybe our upbringing, maybe our history. You know, maybe you've been in a relationship and your partner cheated on you. And that can affect you and make you cynical about love all sorts of reasons why we might feel that we're not loved. Maybe we keep having it reinforced by what people say to us, that we're unlovable. Maybe you're even with someone now who, who keeps reinforcing that, giving you that impression, and you find it hard to believe anyone could love you. But God can, and he does. But your love of God and his love for you is colored by all of those things. It can be really hard to push through it because you just think you've got a standard that you've got to keep and you think you keep failing the whole time because people tell you that sometimes people just keep saying oh you've not done this right and you've not done that right and oh if i and you can just think oh I'm, I'm just a failure oh god must be annoyed with me the whole time i'm always letting god down God must be just disappointed in me all the time. You you can even get in, even the good things that you do, you can think, oh, but my motive wasn't right in that, oh, you know. You just can't win. So you sit here and hear about the love of God, but you've got so many reasons going through your head as to why God shouldn't love you and why God can't love you. Paul knows that. Paul knows that. And so he says, I'm kneeling before the Father. He's feeling it intensely. And he's praying that power will touch our lives so that we'll know the love of God. Not power to touch our lives so we can do miracles. Not power to touch the life so that we can fall over or have something. Power to touch our lives so that we can know the love of God. That's what he's praying. The love of God into our needy hearts. We need it to be powerful if it's going to penetrate through all of those things. We've been planted in that love. But Paul is praying that we will have power to know and grasp it so that we'll be filled up to have the fullness of God, to really understand it. That's what Paul's praying. That's what Paul's praying. Without it, the whole thing, is just words. It's just words. We can talk vision in the church. We can talk strategy. People aren't going to have their hearts melted by that. That's not going to win people. People need to encounter love. All around us, people are feeling unloved forsaken, rejected, they need to come to a place where they can encounter genuine love, the fullness of God, have love reaching down to them, winning them, that's what changes society, that's what changes the world, it's as simple as that, it's love, it's love, it's not going and doing all the stuff, no, it's love, simple, yet so difficult, We need God's power. That's why Paul's on his knees. So in spite of everything, we will grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Let's stand together. Father God, I I can't think of a better prayer to pray. So, I'm just going to pray what Paul prayed. (laughs) Because I believe it's on your heart, Lord. It's here in your word. So, Lord God, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us all with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray. Lord God, that we being rooted and established in love may have the power that you give us together with all the Lord's holy people to just grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And I pray that we will know this love that surpasses all knowledge and that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord God, I pray you will do that in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen, amen.